Welcome to When Everything is Missions. When Everything is Missions is hosted by Matthew Ellison, President of 1615, and Danny Spitters, Vice President of Church Partnerships with Pioneers USA. Make sure you like, share, and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Here are your hosts, Matthew Ellison and Denny Spitters. Once again, welcome to the When Everything is Missions podcast. I am Matthew Ellison, and I am joined by my co-host, Denny Spitters. Denny, how you doing, brother? Doing great. Looking forward to today. Me too. Why don't you let our listeners know about our new book in the event they've not heard about it yet, Conversations on When Everything is Missions. Tell us about it. Yeah, it's a follow-up to our first uh, book, When Everything is Missions, and uh, our desire with the second book, as opposed to writing it ourselves, was we had many influencers that really uh, contributed to our thinking and uh, guided us in the process of the first book. So we asked um, about 13, 14 of them to actually participate in writing a chapter for the second book. And I'm delighted to have with us today Ted Esler, a close friend and uh, a mentor in many ways in missions. And uh, Ted, uh, welcome today. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, your background before we get into some great discussion? Sure. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm I'm currently working with an organization called Missio Nexus which is essentially the association of mission agencies and globally focused churches that are coming out of the U.S. and Canada. Uh, We have about 275 mission agency members, um, 100-plus churches, and it represents about 30,000 globally dispersed uh, workers all around the world. Uh, My background, um, I have a Ph.D. in missiology from Fuller, I served for many years uh, with a larger mission and worked myself as a missionary in a Muslim context. Well, thanks, Ted. We're really glad to have you today again. I I love the title of your chapter. Um, It's called Deconstruction of the Great Commission. Um, And this title, Deconstruction of the Great Commission, directly links and connects the activity of missions to the Great Commissions. Um, We now live in a time when missions is so much more than the advancement of the gospel. I mean, it's just multifaceted. And J.D. Payne says this, I'm gonna use his quote here. We quote, we now live in a time when the church thinks of itself as doing missions, even if the gospel is never shared, unquote. Why do you make a direct connection between missions and the gospel itself? And is this direct link even necessary? Aren't aren't there all sorts of different ways to do missions? Well, I think there, what I like to refer people to is what kind of distinction do you see between the question, what does it mean to be Christian? And what does it mean to do mission? And uh, I'm I'm reminded a little bit um, of a Supreme Court decision many years ago in which the Supreme Court was evaluating pornography. And one of the justices wrote, I know it when I see it, but he was having a hard time exactly defining the difference between some forms of art and pornography. Hmm. I think think for many of us, this concept of I know it when I see it um, has traditionally applied to mission 
because it has in some way been about expanding either the depth or the breadth of the kingdom. And today we basically call mission or missions. Actually, I think there's a distinction between those two words. We could talk about that, yeah. but we, we like to basically call anything Christian mission. Yeah. And um, I think we all know intrinsically that that's actually not the case but it's become so hard for us to define the difference that the easiest thing to do is just call everything mission. Hmm. Um, and the gospel being linked to mission is really important uh, to your chapter. You stress the fact that the gospel is pretty central to that. You know, if, if the UN can do it, then it's probably not great commission ministry. What's the difference between what the UN does and what a, you know, well-managed Christian relief and aid and development organization might do? Well, the Christians, the gospel goes along with whatever they're doing to serve people. There's certainly a distinction between service and service with a message. Mm. And it's impossible to escape the the Great Commission as having a proclamational element to it. I like to talk in terms of what I call the big three. The big three are evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Those big three are what I see in the missions community, most organizations eventually organizing around. Now, those are not all biblical terms, but those are easy ways of describing the activities that fall under this rubric of the Great Commission, evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. And without one of those three being present, it really cannot be a Great Commission ministry. Yeah, there's a phrase that John Piper uses. I, I love his ability to turn a phrase. He just takes these big concepts and makes them accessible, but he says, no words, no gospel. So I appreciate yeah. that emphasis on proclamation there, Ted. So, Ted, something you write in your chapter is that missiology is a dark science and that a lot of our missiological reflection today is this critique of missions, but it's not very positive. Maybe you could give a definition to our listeners, a uh, simple definition of missiology, and then tell us why you think it's become so negative in focus lately. Well, of course, an ology means the study of missiology or mi missiology, the study of missions. And, um, you know, first of all, I just got to say, I love missiology. Okay? I got a degree in it, spent a lot of my life working in the realm of missiology. But the truth is, most of contemporary missiology is a critique. It's a critique of methodology. I mean, the difference between someone who's studying missiology and somebody who's doing missions is the doing. And I'm reminded of William Carey's uh, long ago article that says the use of, it talks about the use of means and mm -hmm. missionaries actually take action. They do something. Well, mm -hmm. the second you take a, an abstract concept like the gospel and apply um, action to it, you inevitably open yourself up for that action, infusing meaning into what you're trying to communicate. In fact, you know, people talk about how the media is the message. It's similar with our actions and how we act on them. 
and therefore they're human they're human representations of what the great commission is and and rightly then there's going to be problems introduced into this process of communicating the gospel but missiology has particularly over the last 25 or 30 years almost parked itself exclusively at the doors of um you know deconstructionism and it's it's like a higher critique of all things that have ever been done in mission. Now, you know, I'm not naive and I know that there have been terrible things done in the name of mission, but that doesn't mean that all things that have been done in the name of mission are terrible. In fact, most of the things that have been done in the name of mission, I'd say probably pretty good. Yeah. And yeah. Um, for whatever reason, we've been unable to delink this whole critiquing process from um, missiological reflection. And it's unfortunate, um, but it, it really makes it hard for us to move forward in mission without there being at least some background noise talking about colonialism or talking about, you know, removing rights from indigenous people, a whole range of things, many of which have been true at different times. I'm, I'm not denying that that's the case, but that really doesn't sum up what has actually happened particularly over the last 100 years of mission. What would you say over the last 100 years has happened that's been, uh, the, you mentioned the negative side, which is colonialism, um, you know, that whole idea. But what about, what about the positive side of it? What gets overlooked? Well, I think the biggest thing that gets overlooked is the successes that have been had in the missions world. Now, I'd say that making even that statement I just made with many is a head scratcher. They think that missionaries are largely ineffective, have not done a great job. Um, particularly, I found that attitude to be very strong with megachurch leaders. Mm -hmm. um, this concept that missionaries are not good at what they do. If mm. you dial back a hundred years, in fact, let's go back to 1910, which is a famous missions date because it's when the conference in Edinburgh happened. 90% of the Christians in the world lived outside of the West. Well, here we are 110 years later, and uh, that, that whole script has been flipped upside down. And that, in that same time frame in which we've had radical growth outside of the West, the church in the West has really lost its way. And so I just find it astonishing sometimes, particularly when it comes from a Western source, that uh, missions has not done its job over the last 100 years. Now, I understand someone might make the case, well, that was done despite missions. In a, in a famous kind of anecdote about that is the Chinese church didn't start growing until the missionaries left. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, there's no doubt that um, indigenization of the church is a goal. But if you're going to make that kind of statement, I'm I hope you're getting ready to have that discussion someday with one of the martyrs who lost their lives in planting the seeds of yeah. the church that mm -hmm. eventually grew in China. Yeah, that's huge. And uh, you can essentially go to almost every political nation in the world today. Um, now, not every, you know, ethnic group, ethno-linguistic group, but you can go to almost any political nation and you're going to find some presence of belie believers in those places. And missionaries have contributed at least some significant part to that, if not the most significant part, 
to the expansion of the gospel globally. So here we are, you know, in the West, deconstructing the Great Commission, um, criticizing missionaries and all this kind of thing. At the same time that that's all happened, the church globally has exploded. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, I think we got to be a little bit more humble in our critique. Yeah. 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 You know, I think this might be a good opportunity to mention the Woodbury study. I don't know when it was done, Ted. Do you recall when that was done? Um, 2012, 2013. Well, it's funny that you would mention that because just by chance, completely by <laughs> chance, I have that on my desk right now. <laughs> and it appears to have been published quite a while ago, 2005. Oh, wow. Longer than I thought. Long time ago. But what, what he does in that study is he he traces all sorts of secular advances in cultures where missionaries happen to have influence. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, if you had a hotspot map of where missionaries have been, that's also where you see the highest education levels, the best treatment of women, yeah, um, yeah. on and on and on. Anyway, um, it's a very good point, Matthew, that Missionaries have brought the gospel with them. And as they've done that, the kingdom influence has, now you can't say everywhere, but, mm -hmm. but virtually everywhere, it's had an incredibly positive yeah. effect uh, where it's been present. You yeah, know, something else that came out of that study, Ted, yeah. that I think is worth noting is that the primary um, work of those early Protestant missionaries was gospel proclamation, like we just talked about. And that's ultimately what he cites that led to the, you know, transformation and benefits of mission. They were proclaiming the gospel. You know, yeah. Matthew, if we have the chance to sit down and have a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, if they were British missionaries, <laughs> with these with these workers from, you know, 100, 100 plus years ago, we would feel like they're rank fundamentalists. <laughs> yeah. It's it's true. They they were conservative. Mm -hmm. yeah. They were certainly very concerned about the simple gospel message. Mm. And so, you know, I, I do think I think it's true that they did not go simply, you know, doing medicine or doing literacy or doing education. Those things were almost always accompanied by a very strong gospel witness. Yeah. And it, it wasn't an either or never no it was never an either or and it was uh in fact it, it, it was it was seen as part of the whole pie and sometimes yeah. some of those like particularly when you look at literacy and education they were very much infused by a gospel purpose they were teaching literacy so people could read the bible yes they were, they were teaching and they were building educational institutes so that people could be pastors and teachers in their communities. Mm -hmm. And even in our own culture, you know, these great secular uh, schools that we have, Harvard, Yale, you, you name it, they started out as Bible colleges. Yeah. And, and yeah. That, that, that really is part and parcel of how the gospel used to go out um, in, in, in a major way. Yeah. Uh, Ted, you write that um, deconstructionism, we talked, we keep using that word, has had a big effect in missions. What is deconstructionism? How could you define it simply? And what examples might you give to support the claim of deconstructionism in missions? 
Well, I'm borrowing the term um, from its literary and philosophical use. Very, it was popular in the 60s, and basically it emptied words of their meaning, meaning by saying that these words are infused with presuppositions. And those presuppositions are not ones that we accept, and therefore uh, it, it tried to take words and, uh, and, and make them less powerful, less helpful than they were. Okay. And in a missions context, um, similar, I mean, even the word mission and missions. Okay, there's a good um, one. Now, those are not, they're not straight out of the pages of the Bible. They're Latin words. They were used by Catholics. Um, but I would argue they're very good words for us to use in our English context. And in, in fact, I think as each year goes by, they're more and more relevant. If you were to ask somebody, what's the mission of your company? If that company has a mission statement, they would give it to you. And they're referring to the purpose or the reason for existence. Yeah. Well, that's an awesome way to think about the word mission. Um, yeah. Now, I personally like to draw a distinction between mission and missions. Mm -hmm. This isn't necessarily in my article, but for me, mission is the abstract concepts surrounding this idea of the Great Commission. By the way, the Great Commission is a relatively new term itself, okay? but it's wrapping up numerous theological concepts into a package. Missions, I tend to prefer to use when I'm actually talking about human agency, in other words, human action. Um, you know, missions is, in my view, uh, better applied when we're talking about particular organizations attempting to accomplish a mission or particular people. The doing of. The, the doing of mission, yeah. Um, it's a little bit splitting hairs, but um, mission and missions are two terms that have been deconstructed, tied to their uh, presumptive roots, which typically is colonialism, and uh, they, you know, it, they're an attempt to more or less uh, avoid their use. Deconstructionism attempting to avoid the use of mission or missions. In a Christian context, and, and by the way, if there's a better word out there, I'm game. Yeah, so, uh, it doesn't really so, matter to me what what these phonemes are, um, but the concept that we are to proclaim the gospel uh, to all creation that that concept to me is an immutable biblical concept. Yeah, yeah. So, so what do we replace these words with, Ted? What what are what are the recommendations? I, when I read some of this deconstructionism, everybody suggests things because they believe that the word mission and missions and missionary are, are full of pejoratives. But then they come up with concepts sometimes it's like, well, how is that not a pejorative? You know, if there's any positive language that's straight out of the scriptures that I think would be powerful, they would be <clears throat> words surrounding kingdom. Jesus used those terms a great deal. Mm -hmm. um, but those words become, you know, what do you call it? Kingdoming when you're doing it. Um, they really haven't caught on. You know, let me, one, one last thing I would just want to add about missiology. You know, there's a famous miss, uh, missiologist named Bosch, and he wrote an awesome, very excellent book called Transforming Mission. And in that book, he, he essentially has an intellectual quest for the next phase, the next era of mission. 
Now, this book was written some decades ago. Mm-hmm. And my sense is that many of these deconstructors live in the uncertainty about what's coming next, as mm. Bosch put it forward. But because no next has really arrived, the way to fill up that next space is to essentially continuously critique and deconstruct what has gone before. Hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. So if any of our listeners want to dig deeper into, you know, mission, missions, missional, the differences, Ed Stetcher actually uh, contributed a chapter to the book we're talking about right now. So you want to pick that up. Uh, Ted, you you write about this constant rethinking and reimagining of missions, this deconstruction idea. But what's so harmful about this? Isn't innovation and missions a good thing? I know Missio is very big into innovation. So what's wrong with this critiquing? You know, the the critiquing is fine. I'm all for it. I'm a huge believer that we need to be much more innovative in the mission space and the missions space. Um, But if you look at these studies, they're, they're always in search of massive transformation. And many of them come with the assumption that things are not working. And again, I just, I have a hard time thinking that things are not working when I look at what has actually happened globally. The, the most, I think, um, important example of this was a study that was done way back in the 1930s. And it was an effort to evaluate the effectiveness of missionaries, the Layman's Foreign Missions Inquiry, it was called. It was a very large uh, process of evaluating missionaries paid for by the Rockefeller Foundation. And they sent out teams of people all around the world to sit down and evaluate and look at what missionaries were doing. And the funny thing is, if you read the report, there's actually, if you if you are a missionary uh, leader, you should read the report because the report is chock full of ways to do metrics on mission. And I think some really helpful insights, but there's a narrative that, at least from my reading of it, it seems somewhat, um, disconnected from what the data was pointing to. And that narrative was that none of this is working. We need to throw it out the window. <laughs> now, that study was aimed at the mainline missions. Wow. And those mainline missions pretty much did what the study said to do. They emphasized the social gospel mm-hmm. instead of a proclamational gospel. Mm. And if you look around today, in the missions community, what you see are very few mainline missionaries who, who proclaim the gospel. In fact, many of those, you know, what used to be the great consular mission movement um, organizations are nothing more than social enterprises if they exist at all. In the, at the same time, in that same era of time, the more gospel-focused and gospel-centric Mission agencies and denominations have done nothing but grow and thrive and survive. Wow. And so, you know, I I would just say that we need to rethink all this rethinking. I I got an email just a week ago, and the email was asking for information about short-term missions, particularly nationals that might want to critique North American short-term missions. Hmm. Now, you know, I want there to be really great short-term missions too, 
and we should continually evaluate them. But when I read through the proposal there, what stuck out to me was uh, this is going to be just one more attempt to rethink something that's been rethought a bunch. You know, there's many books written on short-term mission, the problems, the pitfalls, etc. There are entire, well, there's a member of Missio Nexus, an organization called Standards of Excellence. And what it does is it presents great ways to do short-term mission, the excellent standards to follow if you're doing short-term mission. But for whatever reason, this group feels like we need another study critiquing yeah. short-term mission. One of the most studied things that there have been in missions. <laughs> well, so all that's to say, we are in love with this idea of throwing missions out and starting over from scratch. Yeah. I, you know, here, I, I want to give our listeners, um, before we get to the end of this first part here, um, uh, a, a quote from your chapter, quote, deconstructionism relays the message that the Great Commission, as it is expressed in the contemporary church, including missionary agencies and similar organi organized efforts, is theologically and historically suspect. Now, the question I have is, why should this hold any concern for the average North American believer uh, and the guy that's probably thinking to himself, he's he's listening to what you're saying. And he goes, so what? Why should I really even care about this? Well, if you if you have any concern whatsoever to be obedient to the Great Commission, now let me just say that one of the ways that we have um, limited our understanding of the Great Commission is we only talk about Matthew 28. 19 and 20. Right. But, but there's plenty of other biblical references to the Great Commission. Yep. Um, Jesus had four others. Yes. Um, as I said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Mm -hmm. uh, going to all the world. That's John 20, 20, Mark 16, 15. Going to all the world and proclaim the gospel of the whole creation. Then, of course, there's the famous Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Uh, Luke 24, 44, and 49 is a great one. It's when Jesus explains going through the scriptures from the beginning to the end on what everything points to. And, of course, it's him and that yep. message being spread. And then Acts 1.8, you'll receive power. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and, Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So if somebody wants to be a disciple of Christ— I'm afraid they got to go along with the Great Commission. It's part and yeah. pa parcel of what Jesus taught, and it cannot be separated from obedience, uh, obedience to Christ. And so, you know, that, that would be the overriding thing, I would say, is if you want to be a mature disciple, then you'd better care about seeing the big three, evangelism, discipleship, and church planning, happen. And by Jesus' own command, everywhere, everywhere, in all the world. So that, that's how I'd yeah. answer that. That's a really good answer, Ted. You know, I, I think every one who loves Jesus prays, I want to be more like you, Jesus. I, I want to resemble you more. Well, if you're going to resemble Jesus, then you're going to care about the things that he cares about. So that's yeah. a great answer. Hey, Ted, we, we've got a, a name for your new book that you need to write, Rethinking, Rethinking Missions. <laughs> You just said it. I, I think it'd be a great read. Maybe it would only be 
interesting to the wonks, but man, we so appreciate your insights on this very important matter. Yes. And if uh, you're listening right now, you're going to want to tune into our next episode because Ted is going to be with us again. Brothers, thanks for being with us. Hey, thanks for having me. Before you go, visit our website to learn more about When Everything is Missions and order your copy today. It is www.whenEverythingIsMissions.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, share, and subscribe so you don't miss one. The When Everything is Missions podcast is presented by 1615.